Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Hi again. We will be in just a moment watching a video from uh, Practicing the Way. And John Mark Comer will be teaching today's message. In the material we're going through this month, they've created four local churches to understand the Sabbath and in four ways, stop, rest, delight, and worship. And we have a QR code to the Sabbath companion guide. And if you wanna take a moment, you can pull out your phone, you can go through this later. What this guide is, is it has some tips, um, things that you could adopt in your own life. Some questions that you could fill out later, uh, links to their podcast and their material to keep it washing over and over and over in us. And I love that they remind us information alone does not transform us. And they, through practicing and repetition, that information can move to heart transformation. And with this companion guide, it's another repetition. Um, Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And as we keep having the right repetition over and over and over again, that it gets deep down in us. And that we could be people that produce 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit in the gospel. That link will also be sent out again in email. And then you'll notice in groups, because if you're like me, when you go to sit in a group, and if you're in a sermon-based group, this video will get played again this week in group. And you'll maybe feel the... um, doubt in your mind or critique to say, well, I've already seen this. Let me check out. As a team, we've been watching and listening to this stuff multiple times. It informs and forms our life through repetition. So good. You think, oh, I've heard it before. Let's hear it again. Father, we position our hearts right now. No matter what we're carrying, that we would be able to learn about rest. Those at home, to feel rest in their home. Those in the car listening to this, to feel rest in their car. Those in the room, to feel the rest of heaven that is through Jesus. And what the Sabbath means, to remember God, example, all the way from the beginning, but also to remember the exodus, the exodus that we're revolting against the Babylonian way. We're revolting against the Old Testament masters that try to say, produce, produce, produce. No, in God, I am enough. God is enough. And in this space, in this place, I pray if there's people that don't know you yet, that haven't come back home, that they would let you in, Jesus, and say, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Enjoy this teaching. In session one, John Mark said there are four meanings of the Hebrew word Shabbat or Sabbath that function like four movements of the Sabbath day. They are to stop, rest, delight, and worship. 
Last time we covered stop, and that's what you did on your first Sabbath. You stopped. But up on the docket for today is rest. Yeah, but first, one of the convictions of practicing the way is that information alone does not produce transformation. We need to practice the way of Jesus to get Jesus' teaching from our minds to our bodies, our muscle memory, for it to become second nature. But practice alone is not enough. We need to practice in community. And then we need to reflect together on our practice as a community. The spiritual journey begins with desire, wanting to follow Jesus and be transformed into a new kind of person. Desire is like the engine of our life. It's the drive to get out of bed in the morning and live. But when you pay close attention to the inner dynamics of the heart, you realized desire is one of those things that is never, ever satisfied. A thousand years before Christ, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. A more recent philosopher just said, I can't get no satisfaction. No matter how much we get, it's never enough. Thomas Aquinas, that towering medieval intellectual, once asked the question, what would it take to satisfy human desire? The answer he came up with was everything. We would have to experience everything and everyone and be experienced by everything and everyone to feel satisfied. We would have to be infinite, but we're not, we're finite. So all of us live with chronically unsatisfied desires. The word used by the writers of the Bible to name this inner disquiet of the heart is restlessness. This is an ancient problem rooted in human nature, but it's been manipulated by the culture of consumerism in the West, and in particular by advertising, which is basically an attempt to monetize our restlessness. We see upwards of 4,000 ads per day, all of it intentionally designed to leave you and I feeling unsatisfied. And it works. We fall for the old carrot on the stick routine, chasing more money, more clothes, more things, more square feet, more experiences, more stamps on our passport, more relationships, more, 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 but it's never, ever enough. Rest is always just out of reach. In the East, they call this the wheel of suffering, which isn't really a religious idea as much as it's a wise insight into the human condition. The wheel of suffering is craving and aversion. Craving is a chasing after what you desire, what you want. And aversion is a running away from what you don't want, what you fear or whatever is causing you pain. The result of that wheel is suffering because the moment we catch what it is we're chasing, if we catch it, we immediately want 10 new things. And the moment we solve one problem, if we can solve it, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. A new one pops right up to take its place. Is there a way off the hamster wheel of craving and aversion, chasing after our desires and running away from our fears? Or in more biblical language, is there a way to fight against the cancerous restlessness of the human heart and the age to which we belong? Yes, Sabbath. Sabbath is a practice from the way of Jesus by which we war against the restlessness of our age and instead take on the easy yoke 
of Jesus our rabbi and find rest for our souls. As we said in the previous session, there are four movements to the Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. On the docket for this week is rest. If you have your Bible, one more time, turn to Genesis chapter 2 and read with me from verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested, or he Sabbathed, from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, when I hear the word rest, I think of sleep, or maybe a little margin, or a day off, or just a few hours to relax. But the idea behind this verb Shabbat in Hebrew is far more. It's holistic rest, or what Jesus called rest for your souls, for your whole person. On the Sabbath, we rest from work, all work, not just paid work, not just our jobs, but all work, including our chores and our errands and our to-do lists. We rest from working. But it's actually more than that. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, in his magisterial book, The Sabbath, says we rest not just from work, but from even thinking about work. Neuroscientists tell us that when we think about work, even if we are at home on the couch, it secretes the same stress chemicals in our brain as if we were at the office or on the job site or in the actual situation. We rest from even the thought of working, but it's still more. We rest from wanting and worrying. We get off the wheel of suffering. I want this, I don't want that. We delight in God and we come to rest. To unpack this idea, let me kind of Bible nerd out on you for just a few more minutes. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter five. You may or may not know, the 10 commandments are recorded twice in the Torah, the Hebrew word for the books of Moses. The first is in Exodus chapter 20, where Israel is at the foot of Mount Sinai right after leaving Egypt. The second is in Deuteronomy 5 on the edge of the Jordan River, right before Israel is entering the Promised Land. There are 40 years in between, which means Deuteronomy 5 is to the next generation who were not there, who were unborn or still babies at Mount Sinai. And the Sabbath command is similar, but it's a little bit different. Read with me from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, there are two differences between the Sabbath command in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. The first is minor. In Exodus, it's remember the Sabbath, but here in Deuteronomy, it's observe the Sabbath. Remember and observe. 
The Hebrew word is shamar, and it means to keep watch over or to guard like a sentry. Think of how we observe a holiday or a holy day, such as Christmas or Easter. We guard it, we kind of watch over it to make it special and unique. That's the idea. Sabbath is like a weekly holiday. We are to keep watch over it, lest it become just another ordinary day on the weekend. This is why in the Kiddush, which is the ancient Jewish liturgy that you begin the Sabbath with, you light not one, but two candles to symbolize the two commands, remember and observe. That's change number one. The rest of the command is verbatim until the end where there is a major change. In Exodus, it's for in six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But in Deuteronomy, it's remember that you were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Same command, but a whole different rationale behind the command. In Exodus, the rationale is grounded in the story of creation, for in six days God created the heavens and the earth. Here in Deuteronomy, it's grounded in the story of liberation. You were, past tense, slaves in Egypt, but you're not slaves anymore. At Sinai, Sabbath is about the rhythm. In Deuteronomy, it's about the resistance. The last session was all about rhythm. This session is all about resistance. Give me a few more minutes to lay it out. In the Exodus story, there's all sorts of language about restlessness. For example, here's a few quotes from Exodus chapter five. Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Make the work harder so they keep working. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. In the story, Pharaoh is a cruel tyrant. No matter how hard the Hebrews work, it was never enough. They lived under the oppressive yoke of the daily quota, more, more, more. And it wasn't just Pharaoh, it was the socioeconomic system of Egypt as a whole. Israel was making bricks to build, quote, supply cities, end quote. Entire cities just to store all of Pharaoh's extra stuff. And it was an economic system built on the back of slavery. To get to the lavish, opulent lifestyle of a pharaoh or an Egypt, you need cheap labor to work while you rest. And slaves don't get a Sabbath, a day of rest. Slaves in an empire like that are subhuman, a commodity to buy and sell. They only have value in what they produce. They work all day, every day until they die. Rest in the story is a byproduct of the salvation and deliverance of God. So the command is to remember you're not a slave anymore. You're in a new kingdom under a new king. You're not in Egypt. There's no daily quota, no taskmaster over your head. And this is key. Remember Deuteronomy 5 was to the next generation. Remember to never become a slave driver yourself. Hence the command about your male and female servants, the foreigner, even your animals, all are equal under the Sabbath, all rest on the seventh day. 
The theologian A.J. Swoboda calls the Sabbath scheduled social justice. And we need this practice now more than ever before because Pharaoh and Egypt are both alive and well. In the literary design of the Bible, Egypt is an archetype similar to Babylon later on. It was a real historic nation state and empire, but it's symbolic of all empires down through time and all across the world. And while we are not ancient Hebrews living in Egypt, you're a Kiwi living in Auckland or a Canadian living in Vancouver or a, an American living in Portland, Oregon, still we live in a modern day Egypt in a culture of restlessness, a culture of unchecked desire for more. In the West, we work more than ever before. The Japanese have a word, kuroshi, that literally means death by overwork. But we Americans work 137 more hours per year than the Japanese, 260 more hours per year than you Brits, and 499 more hours per year on average than the French. God bless you French. In my home country of the US, we work more than any other nation in the world. Now, as a general rule, this is more true of older generations than younger. In fact, to be honest, many young adults have the opposite problem. For them, it's often not too much work, but too much play. But as a culture, we work or play more than ever before. And we have more than ever before. Conservative estimates say we now spend two to three times more on goods and services than our ancestors did in 1945. Our homes are three times larger and full of twice as many things. The average home in my country, not rich, average, has over 300,000 items in it. Here in the US, we don't have supply cities, but there are 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space, something like 7.3 square feet for every person in our nation. Meanwhile, many people all around us, hiding in plain sight, possibly some around you right now, are barely able to make rent and put food on the table. But in spite of that, we're unhappier than ever before. Sociologists tell us that the happiness levels in the West hit a peak in the 1950s and have been in a steady decline ever since. Interesting, that's right around when the blue laws in my country and other countries were phased out and the Lord's Day or the Sabbath was secularized into the weekend. To sum up, we work more than ever before, we have more than ever before, and we're still not happy. It's Egypt all over again. And it's so easy to just get sucked into the culture, to feel like you just have to work those extra hours to get ahead, like you have to reach a certain standard of living, you have to own this or that, you have to participate in this or that. It's so easy just to say, well, that's just how it is. But it doesn't have to be this way. Listen carefully. Rest is an act of resistance. It is an act of defiance against Pharaoh and his empire. It is a way of saying with your whole life, enough, enough work. Work is a good thing, but it's not the thing. Enough stuff, stuff isn't bad, but most of us have more than enough. Sabbath rest is a way to break our addiction to the twin gods in the West, accomplishment and accumulation. Later in the Old Testament, there are Sabbath commands against buying or selling, against all commerce on the Sabbath. That's where blue laws came from. 
In our family, we've chosen to follow this ancient wisdom. On the Sabbath, we don't shop or do anything that would make us want more, like read a magazine or dink around online. We don't even talk about what we want more of. We just be and practice gratitude for what we have and we enjoy the goodness of God in our actual life. This can be hard to do. We have three teenagers right now that I'm raising and I watch our culture attempt to monetize their restlessness just like it does to me constantly. But every week, the Sabbath is our line in the sand as a family enough. My point is, accomplishment and accumulation aren't evil. They can even be good to a limit. At some point, you need a line in the sand to say, this far you shall go and no farther. I do not need to work more hours. I do not need to make more money or move up in the company. I do not need a new car. I do not need the perfect grade or the perfect body or the perfect yard or the perfect whatever. I do not need to earn my human father's approval. I already have it from my heavenly father. Sabbath is a weekly reminder. You're not a slave anymore. Pharaoh and his army are at the bottom of the Red Sea. You are free. You have all you need to thrive with God and his world. You are in a new kingdom now with a new king. You are loved just as you are with all of your humanity. You don't have to produce or perform or purchase your way into love. You don't need more things or more experiences or more relationships because you have God. You don't need to hold your life together in fear for your future because God is your good shepherd. Of course, this all sounds beautiful, but my point is, Sabbath rest is an act of resistance. It is a declaration of war on all that is anti-Sabbath and anti-the Lord of the Sabbath, which means when you practice Sabbath, you are going to feel resistance, both external resistance, the culture all around you is a Sabbathless, rhythmless, hollow out your soul and suck you dry culture. To Sabbath well will require intentionality, preparation, and a resolute determination to go against the flow of the cultural tide, to live differently. This is not easy. You are standing against what the Apostle Paul calls the principalities and powers. The theologian Walter Wink defines the powers in Ephesians as both heavenly and earthly, divine and human, spiritual and political, invisible and visible. They are the meta-forces that keep us and others, in particular the oppressed, from Sabbath rest. Things like systemic racism, sexism, greed, political corruption. All these forces are animated by dark spiritual powers that are anti-Sabbath and anti-God. Through the practice of Sabbath, we defy these powers and align ourselves with the God of Sabbath, of rest. We resist. But there's also internal resistance. Egypt isn't just around us, it's in us. To Sabbath, to come to rest, we have to resist the internal dynamics of restlessness in our own fallen heart, greed, envy, jealousy, discontentment, anxiety, a controlling spirit, addiction. With all of the practices, and frankly, with God himself, we feel what Ruth Haley Barton calls the push-pull dynamic. There's a tug of war in our chest. We feel a pull toward Jesus and his way. We, we feel a genuine desire to be with him and find rest for our soul. But we also feel a bit of a push 
away from Jesus and his way, a resistance in us or a reluctance to give up our own autonomy and self-will and surrender to him. In the practice of Sabbath, you will feel this push-pull dynamic at work in your own body. But Sabbath rest is your secret weapon in the war against the powers and the principalities of our age. It's an entire day where you say, I have enough and I am enough. In those push-pull moments, when you have to resist both external forces and internal forces that are anti-Sabbath, remember you're not a slave anymore. You're free. God is king, but he's nothing like Pharaoh. He is a Sabbath-keeping, Sabbath-commanding God. Jesus called himself the Lord of the Sabbath, and he's offering you rest for your souls. The question is, will you take that rest and will you resist? In the remaining time we have together, even here in that material, might, there might just be an inner war going on thinking, well, I can't, and maybe health doesn't allow it, or job schedule, and that there's just, you almost can't see a way out of uh, the pace of the God of this age. And I want to say you're not alone. Many of us feel that. There's an internal war, and there's an external war. And at some point, we got to draw a line in the sand. And just start, somehow, some way. I can't do 24 hours. Maybe you can do one. So when we get ready to close here, I think the Holy Spirit wants to do something right here, right now, for all of us. And so the worship team, if you guys could just kind of maybe get the atmosphere of where we're gonna go. We're gonna sing, we're gonna worship, we're gonna close, we're gonna declare that God is alive. But before we do that, Maybe there's things we're carrying right here, right now that I think the Holy Spirit wants to bring out in the open and if we're brave enough to raise our hand of something that is feeling externally hard to rest, forces that are outside your ability, somebody who's going through a situation, or internally. Because when you slow down, what happens sometimes is the hurts of yesterday. It's like a form of detoxing. But what is so amazing about the Lord is he meets you right there and he comes in. Jesus, he says, it's better if I go. Why? He would send the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter. And in this room, there may be a heaviness for many of just the regrets of yesterday or the sin nature, mistakes and feeling, oh, I just can't get cleaned up enough. Well, good news, friend, is Jesus is the only one clean enough. He's the only one who lived perfect. He's the only one who lived sinless. And he died on the cross and then rose from the dead to destroy the effects, the decay, the destruction, the lies the shackles of sin.
And what grace is, is we just gotta receive that and let God in and say, Jesus, I can't, but you can. I can't, but you did. I'm not enough, but you are, and you love me. And God, I lose my life to find you, and I give up this nonsense, and I just want you to be my Savior and Lord. And I don't even know all fully what that means, but God, will you make a way? Will your mercy touch me? And what he does in those moments when we pray that, he makes us brand new. It's the good news. He cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And then following Jesus is a lifetime of ups and downs, isn't it, friends? Those that have been walking with Jesus for a while. Sometimes something will come up that happened 20 years ago. You know, oh. The enemy doesn't get the final say over those moments. Whom the Son set free is free indeed. If you're here today and you say, there's something externally or internally that I can't move, that is hard to carry, that I don't feel rest in a specific area. If you're here today and you say, there's something externally or internally that I'm carrying that I want prayer for, will you just raise your hand if that's you? And just keep it up for a moment. Even at home, will you just raise your hand? God sees you. And in a small way, this is just saying, you know, in class, and then you get called on, God sees you in this moment. Just look around. Look at how many people are carrying something. You're not alone. Look around. Who, who, who has a hand up in your area? Maybe you find them right after service and say, I love you. What's up? Just give them a hug. We're in this together. Maybe as we close and we worship, just go touch them, put a hand on their shoulder. Pray. You might not know how to pray. Ask God, what does he say? It could just be listen and just put a hand on their shoulder. God, you see these hands. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Move what seems immovable. Bring rest in the midst of chaos. God, bring healing where it hurts. Help soothe and solve external situations that are beyond our control. And God, the internal turmoil that's going inside of our souls, God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit right here, right now, that you would bring peace. You would bring rest. In Jesus' name. As we worship, I believe the Holy Spirit is here. You can sit. You can come and kneel. You can go find somebody and put your hand and the team will lead us in a declaration. That there is power in the name of Jesus in whom the Son set free is free indeed. Spirit was moving.
still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I. Be still and know. Be still and. Be still. Be. God, I thank you for all of your kids that in this moment, you're encouraging us, each one of us, that we're in this together. And we are people that you know and you've called us by name and we can just be in your presence. God, I pray that there would be a pace of grace in the rhythm of the week for each one of us. Insert cliche line two, that there would be an abide stride for each one of us this week. But to simply just be at your feet. To know that you're Emmanuel, you are God with us. Abba, closer than the air we breathe. Thank you for the work you've done in our life today. We recognize this is a, it's a marker to have momentum this week. And when the enemy comes to bring lies and discouragement, that right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would call upon Jesus. We would call upon Jesus. Have your way this week, we pray, God. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Thank you guys for being here today. We'll see you next week, 10 a.m. and 11.30. We're going to continue Sabbath. Next week will be delight. All races, all faces, all ages, you belong here. We're going to keep loving this city one life at a time, and we won't stop until he makes all things new. Have the best day of your lives, y'all.